Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am recording this on January 19th, the day before uh, Joe Biden is sworn in as president, and it is also National Run for Something Day, and it's a National Run for Office Day, uh, which I learned about through runforsomething.net, a very important organization. And today, I'm going to be talking to someone who is going to show me what it's like to run for office, to be in office in these times, and to affect change in the show me state of Missouri. Her name is Maggie Nurenbaum. We're going to be talking about you know what got her into politics, uh, why she ran for office, and hopefully you'll leave not just angry about what's going on in the world, but encouraged and wanting to run for office as well. Maggie is a teacher, and it's something we need more of in public office, I believe, more professions like that. And uh, she brings a valuable experience to the table that uh, we hope to see in every legislature and every kind of government. So, Maggie, thank you for talking with me today. Yeah, Tony, thank you so much for having me. And um, like you said, this is, it's an exciting thing when we talk about running for office and having national days to recognize, um, hey, we need more people to run for office. We need more young people to run for office. And, you know, I'll be honest, as, as we, um, I, in some respects, like many, I feel like I've been holding my breath um, the last four years. And, you know, as we are on the eve now of, of the Biden-Harris uh, inauguration, um, it's, it's exciting to, to see, um, you know, more people jumping up and saying, I want to be part of the process. So um, I'm excited to talk with you all a little bit about my journey and hopefully, um, ultimately, encourage you to run also for office. So one of the first things I always ask is, have you always been curious or involved in politics? Missouri politics is really interesting in the last forever. People maybe dismiss it now, but, you know, I remember when a dead man became a senator. So, um... Uh (laughs) I just, yes. Yeah, you know, I, so as a kid, I followed, um, essentially what my parents told me, right? We would have um, pretty intense conversations at the dinner table. Um, Both of my parents were very involved in our community um, and always doing what they could to kind of enact change around them. Um, my dad, for many, many years, was involved in our school board. Um, he uh, also ran for office in a very red county um, as a Democrat and, and did not win. But I just realized early, um, I think that was my freshman year of college, is how important um, it is just to run. And um, if, if, if nobody runs, you know, at times you, there's that thought, well, that was the only option. You know, that was the only option on the ballot. That simply is the only option. Um, and, and having people run and, and engage in the conversation and, and shaping policy is so important. So, um, you know, I, I come from a very, in terms of politically active, I came from a, a family of very active voters. Um, I came from, a, I'm fourth generation union um, in my family. They were very, very proud of that. I, both my grandpa and my great grandpa were Kansas City firefighters and active in our um, local firefighters union, local 42. And, um, you know, I grew up remembering my grandpa wearing, you know, hats that um, <laughs> were probably questionable, but in his retirement community in Florida, he would walk around with a, you know, please don't let friends um, vote Republican. And it was always just a joke because he would be surrounded with his friends who were Republicans. But it would just be a way to engage in those conversations, you know, purposely put it on knowing that, hey, you know, his neighbors would give him a hard time, but then he would start having those conversations. And um, so... Did I always think I'd run for office? No, not at all. 
um, I was somebody who um, I was really involved in kind of um, community work and community organizing. And um, in college, I studied um, journalism. I studied Spanish. I had the opportunity to study abroad. And as I was getting ready to graduate, I had all my credits, and I thought, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I, I really um, loved journalism. I had worked for a school newspaper, um, but realized that that field was getting harder and harder, um, really, to make a living in. Um, as, as it was, it was, we were starting to see, this was 2005, starting to, to see daily papers continue to collapse and fold and um, recognizing, you know, maybe I need to start looking at some other paths. So kind of on a whim, I took an internship um, at our state capitol. And I had the really interesting experience of um, kind of checking all the boxes of people who I'd like to work for, and I, and I, did, I checked the box of Democrats. And then I get a call um, from my, the sponsor of the internship that said, hey, you know, some Republicans would really like to talk to you. Um, would you be interested in working for a Republican senator? And, um, and thankfully, I said yes. And I say that because I learned so much. As you say, Missouri, um, Missouri is, in the last two decades, we went from always being a purple state, um, and ultimately, you know, we <laughs> for many years, for decades, we say, you know, however Missouri voted, that's how, you know, who won the presidential um, contest. And the last two decades, um, we have seen kind of a slow slide to the, to the deep right. And um, so I'm very thankful in 2006 that I had the opportunity for one session to work for a Republican senator. Because now, as a freshman state representative in the super minority, I, that's an incredible, um, useful experience of, of literally sitting on the sidelines and being able to listen to people who maybe we differ greatly on policy, but at the end of the day, we want what's best for our state. And so I think having that experience and building those relationships and and even though I can say, hey, we completely disagree on these things, um, we can, I, as a human being, and I care about your thoughts and, and how, you know, you're feeling on this, so let's, let's work forward on some solutions. You know, it's interesting you talk about working for a Republican senator. Um, it seems like at that time in Missouri and here in Pennsylvania as well, where I am, that re a lot of the Republicans that you might think about while they were conservative, they were also pretty business-minded. They seemed pretty, um, you know, there were a lot of reasonable people. And it seemed like that reasonableness yeah, absolutely. is no longer even allowed in the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, and, and we can look at this from every level, right, from the state level to the federal level. And for so long, uh, you know, I, I look at Republicans that I really respected and say, that, that, you know, I'm a, a fiscal conservative or I'm a true statesman. And, you know, these are the things that we've... What's interesting about Missouri, and obviously you've been in the limelight quite a bit here with Josh Hawley, and, and people saying, well, how the heck did he get to where, you know, how is he the junior senator from Missouri? And here we have this, um, you know, somebody who touts himself as being a, a, a constitutional attorney um, and literally just stepping all over our Constitution um, or raising his fist against our Constitution, whichever you want to look at it. But he, um, you know, I, unfortunately... And in, in, in some respects, fortunately, where the GOP is in Missouri is we essentially have these two factions, and um, they have we have a supermajority both in our state house of representatives and also in our Senate, and we also the Republicans have the governor's mansion as well. And so what's happened is um, they haven't been able to get a lot done um, policy-wise because of the infighting. Um, 
I, you know, I say that because remember the super minority that, uh, that it, you know, they just continue to fight amongst themselves um, in terms of what is the, the, the path forward. Because I think as we've seen, um, you know, it, it, especially in, in, in the time of Donald Trump, they, you know, are so far away from what people would say, hey, this, this defines you as being a conservative. Um, here in Missouri, we have, well, let me just throw out a couple things that are really interesting. You know, there's no statewide mass mandate. So in our state legislature, uh, last week in our house, we tried to pass our house rules that would mandate mask wearing, for example. Well, Republicans voted that down. It actually was voted down on party lines. And two days later, we had to close the House of Representatives because um, of the spread of COVID. And so it's just interesting how things before that should not be partisan whatsoever have become partisan because of Donald Trump. Um, I think from, from the beginning how he led or, or failed to lead during this pandemic. And so, uh, you know, we, there's case after case of um, how, you know, we, we're really just going down a very dangerous path. It's also interesting from, uh, I am friends with a state legislator from right next door in Kansas, who's also an educator, and Brett Parker, um, and he has said the same thing about Kansas, that there is the Democratic Party, which is organized and nice, and then there are the, the kooky Republicans and the business Republicans. You hear that in Utah, you hear that in Alaska, where they can't find a governing majority right now. It, it seems to be a very mm -hmm. common theme anywhere, everywhere. And it's and it also, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like those non-kooky Republicans um, are afraid of losing for both good reasons and bad, because they, they might think that they're the last stand against crazy. Um, and also, you know, they're giving in and kind of uh, on things like masks and almost... Um, validating a very dangerous platform yeah no i think you're, you're absolutely right in that and you know i've had many conversations I'm, i live in a suburban district i am you know this is a district that i ran for my house district donald trump actually won it by 35 votes in oh. 2016. i'm fortunate um in that um he did not win in 2020 but it's because i did a um i i, I essentially campaigned for the seat for two years and i had a lot of those um, whether through actual canvassing at the door pre-COVID um, or calling up voters on the phone, I was able to engage with so many different voters to get to know who I am, what I stand for. And really it was, um, you know, so many things that we had to move beyond just the partisan politics at the national level and really talk about what matters in our community. And that's really what I was fighting for. And so it's an interesting case, um, just like you say, we see this, you know, certainly in Missouri, but across the nation, you know, I was able to get 800 people I, this is a very strange statistic, but 800 people voted for Donald Trump and for me mm -hmm. instead of my opponent because my opponent was so extreme. Um, it, it, you know, the, the GOP in Missouri had disavowed his candidacy. And so we have more of these figures that are popping up all over the spectrum. So I, you know, I see that Donald Trump gave them, you know, they, all of a sudden they, they felt that they had a platform. And many times, you know, we can look and say that they did. And we look at these supporters of QAnon and, and getting elected to Congress. Um, it, it's a scary thing. Um, but I think when you're at the local level and you have the ability in a, in a district I was running for, for about 37,000 people to call as many people and actually engage in conversations, um, you can have those real kind of, you know, deep 
conversations if you want to. Sometimes it's more surface level, but essentially get them to say, hey, you know, this is who I am, <laughs> and this is what I stand for, and I hope you can, I can earn your vote. Um, and so it's interesting, like you say, you know, it, there, there are certainly those, those people who become so radicalized. With, like I say, it's, it's strange that I was able to get 800 people to vote for me and for Donald Trump instead of my super far-right opponent. Um, so there you have it. <laughs> well, I think from a lot of things I've read, there are a number of voters who don't think Donald Trump is as extreme as he is, right? Like, he, when he first campaigned in 2016... He campaigned to not cut Medicare or Social Security. Like, he, his campaigning and his language is all over the place Where to the point mm-hmm. where I'm sure that there are some people in your district, and in mine too, who, you know, they're not really into the old Republicans. Um, they're into whatever he is, even if it's not based in reality. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, especially here in Missouri, one of our people care most about our jobs and job security, um, you know, closely followed by economic development. And I think Donald Trump spoke to all of those things, and they were certainly still holding out hope, um, you know, that, you know, he would provide in the end. And, and obviously we see after four years of completely failed leadership that, um, you know, we, we can without a doubt look in back and say, hey, these were the most dangerous four years of any presidency, um, and, you know, failure after failure, you know, he, he literally failed to provide on each and everything that he promised. Um, and, you know, it, it's certainly, a, in, in some respects, a, a very dark time as we look at over 400,000 people now dying from COVID, job loss, um, et cetera, et cetera. But that what we have seen is more people than ever, a more a younger, a more representative base of people running for office and realizing that they need to be part of the process. So. Um, that is something that gives me hope. You know, I can honestly say if Donald Trump had it one four years ago, um, I would have been content with um, with staying in, in the job that I had. Um, as saying, you know, in terms of, you know, I was, I remember watching those returns on election night and furious that I hadn't done more. Um, I, I had a toddler and an infant at the time and mm-hmm. it said, hey, I can't walk doors this cycle because I was too busy. Well, his election, um, Missouri's, you know, electing Holly over Claire McCaskill, all of those things to me were a giant slap in the face and saying, you can't just say, wait, it's not my time, it's not my time. Because for a long time I wanted to say, it's not my time. I, you know, I have a young family. I love the job that I'm doing. As educators every day, you know, we see a lot of jobs I, I think are tough because you don't get to see those um, results, right, a way that we get to do in, in education. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you're in a classroom and you can literally see a kid's face light up or come back in or leave the class and say, hey, you know, your class is my favorite part of the day. I mean, there's those, those constant moments that are affirming, you know, hey, I, I'm in the right job for the right reason, um, which unfortunately, you know, a lot of other jobs don't have. And so I loved what I was doing, um, but I think it was because of and seeing the kind of the writing on the wall of where we were going unless more people got involved in the process. It is really interesting to look back because you and I both agree about Donald Trump, but had Hillary Clinton won, which obviously you and I wish she had, um, mm-hmm. it's very likely that Democrats would not have won two years ago. Um, they The Republicans may have beaten people all over the country, including 
my senator Bob Casey. Like the the direction of the Republican Party um, may have been more sane. They may have been more electable, and Democrats may have been like there's a very they were going to impeach Hillary Clinton by before she was sworn in practically. So yep. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to think about what could have been. Um, but again, you talk about young people running for office. Josh Hawley is a very young senator. Um, we also have a new young senator, mm-hmm. John Ossoff. So young can mean great, like John Ossoff, or it can be not so great with Josh Hawley. Um, he basically incited a mob against their democracy, as you um, would agree. What What do you think the impact of, his, of that is with Republicans in his state of Missouri? Well, unfortunately, Republicans love him. Um... You know, he, Josh Hawley had a very quick um, rise to fame. He um, essentially was a political outsider in a lot of respects and went from, um, you know, he was, a, he was a constitutional law professor at the University of Missouri. He was a practicing attorney and then ran for attorney general. And he was kind of a nobody. I mean, nobody really knew his name, but he got big donors. Um, and that's all it takes to, to endorse him. And he... Um, he literally had an ad when he was running for attorney general that um, with people behind him climbing ladders and saying, you know, in Jeff City, people are just climbing ladders because they're, they're running from one office to get to the next office. It's like, but I'm here for you. I'm here for Missouri. I'm going to fight for Missouri. He, he, it's never been about fighting for, for Missouri or fighting for Missourians. It's always been about what's best for Josh Hawley. And we have seen that from his run from attorney general, and he, he had that seat for a mere two years before running for not even two years. I think he, he used it as a stepping stone to run for Senate um, before he launched his Senate campaign. So the exact and opposite of what he said he would do. Exact opposite. And what's scary about it is that he has, where Donald Trump, I think a lot of times you can listen to him and, and say, gosh, he's going to completely off. What's scary about Josh Hawley is that he, with his, his Ivy League education, Josh Hawley um, is smart, and he literally is working around, um, uh, to me, he, in many respects, he, he's scarier than Donald Trump right. because he can work the process. Um, and but like I say, it's always been about Josh Hawley. I, I have, this was not about standing up for Missourians or, or you know, the, the vote of others. It was literally about how am I going to launch my candidacy for president? Um, and so that, that's what is most frightening to me. And I guess you know, one of the things I want to really drive home is, you know, when people look at this and say, well, gosh, you know, why, you know, who's going to run the office? Is this going to, you know, beat Josh Hawley? We have to, we have to, and, and very few people just run for the U.S. Senate, right? They start out in local government. They start out in school boards, mm-hmm. in city government, in county government. They start out in their state legislatures. Very few candidates just run for that next off, that highest office in terms of Congress or Senate. And so that's why it's so important. Um, you know, so many people get on social media and say, gosh, this is crazy. I hate Josh Hawley. But what are you doing about it? What are you doing to organize, to mobilize, to recruit candidates, to help candidates who have no name recognition in this red state get elected? Like, that's my question back to people. Yeah, and it's a very good point. Like, we have a governor's race and a Senate race in Pennsylvania in 2022. They're both open seats. It's going to be very competitive. Um, the main Republican uh, that's running for governor probably was just elected 
uh, last year. Or, well, he was sworn in a year before, I think. So he's been there for very little. Um, and a lot of the big names that are being rumored only ran for the first time in 2018. So if you had been predicting people back in 2014 or when, um, well, when Tom Wolf, our governor, first ran, you would not have mentioned these people. You wouldn't know who they were. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, and, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, in all ways, that you have to have a, a you know, a kind of that run for that down ballot first. But I think there's a lot to be learned along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think it is along the way that people start to show their true colors. And that's what we never got to see from Josh Hawley. I mean, he was an attorney general for such a little time. Um, and, and really always just kind of bending to the best and calls of others, not really, like I say, ever fighting for Missouri or Missourians. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot to be said of, of having people with some experience um, that in being able to actually see their true colors and where they stand on this issue. Yeah, and we saw that in Georgia where the voters voted against Kelly Leffler, who was an empty seat, an empty suit, you know, as people mm-hmm. would say. She had nothing going for her politically. And yep. she sounded very fake. Everything, even her accent. The day after she lost, it was like, "Who's this person speaking?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, you know, and again, I just I think it speaks so much in, in watching what happened there in Georgia is to that work that happened. You know, Georgia didn't happen overnight. You can look at the last decade and how different groups, um, you know, were able to mobilize and to organize. Mm-hmm. And I remember a quote that I, I really I so true um, from Stacey Abrams when she said, you know, this isn't about um, convincing, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's not about convincing Catholics to become Baptists or Baptists to become Catholics. It's just about getting Baptists to show up to church. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to do. We just have to get people to show up. And in Missouri, you know, when I, I'm asked all the time, like, how in the world did this happen? How did you guys go from being this purple state to all of a sudden you know, we can look in many respects, and even in, in some of the policy that has gone through, how did you guys become one of the deepest red states in the entire country? And simply put, our people aren't showing up to vote. They're not showing up to vote. And so we can look at the numbers. We can look at um, ballot initiatives. Missouri still has an amazing um, ballot initiative process where we can put our language mm-hmm. directly on the ballot and, and folks can vote for it. Each and every time Missouri voters choose the progressive values, mm-hmm. we've raised the minimum wage, we've passed medicinal marijuana, um, we've defeated right to work. We've done all of those things through the ballot, and our legislature continues to try to essentially overturn the will of the voters. And so, you know, a lot of times I say it's, it's about we have to capture the conversation. We need to re, you know, we have a serious conversion issue that we need to do as Missouri Democratic Party. But, it, you know, I think it starts just like Georgia. We can look at them and what they were able to do over the last decade. It really is about um, mobilizing and organizing. Yeah, and even Oklahoma voted for Medicaid expansion just like Missouri did. And, you know, Oklahoma is definitely not seen as a liberal state by any stretch of the imagination. So the voters are it there. You know, again, we put it on the, we put it on the ballot and, and, you know, it makes sense. Even, like we say, you know, when we look at, um, moderates and independents and, and folks who like to tell themselves as being fiscal conservatives, well, Medicaid expansion, that makes sense. Is this about, you know, protecting our tax dollars? Absolutely. So let's expand Medicaid. And so I think, you know, those type of conversations, they were able to win. Um, now, 
anyway, that's a separate conversation. So our, like I said, our legislature, we overwhelmingly passed Medicaid expansion, and now our legislature is trying to do um, everything it can to drag its heels and, and, and fail to implement that expansion. So um, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, part of my battle here as a freshman representative in the House. Well, so you know what it would be like if you and your allies could win. You would work on things like Medicaid expansion, the minimum wage, uh, those kind of issues for workers, union rights, etc. Um, you know, we were talking about Josh Hawley and what he did with uh, the insurrection. And, and, you know, normally in my life, I joke about everything and nothing about it is amusing. Um, so do you think that these people, including the, the, the moderate Republicans who are still there, do you think that they truly grasp what is happening with their side and what happens if they embolden those people like Josh Hawley did? Or are they thinking way too much about short-term gain and long-term damage? So it's interesting that you ask this because these are the exact questions I ask my all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately with COVID, it's not the same type of relationship building, you know, that maybe you typically do. Like, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee after a session. Hey, let's right. go grab a beer and discuss this. But I do as I can. I, I try to grab their ear. Um, because I'm curious. I, I like. I want to know more. I, I do not understand how you stand on this issue. How how in the world, you know, we just for some perspective or some context here. On January sixth, I was swearing my oath to the Missouri Constitution, the Constitution of the United States. After I took that oath, um, we went through some of the procedural things in, in terms of nominating our officers, our leadership in, in the House. And I'm, I'm sitting down um, in, in the chamber, and, you know, all the news alerts are just flashing on my phone. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and you know how history unfolded that day. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm no longer in a safe place. Like, here I am. I, I know the Capitol is under siege. We are in Missouri. We have, you are allowed to conceal and carry. And so I have colleagues. We're on the floor with weapons. Anybody, and I and I know this because my family walked in with some of them. As long as you have a conceal and carry permit, you can walk around with your weapon. And so I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, out front we had about a thousand Trump supporters that day. Um, all of a sudden, we're here and sitting, like I say, literally sitting ducks on the floor of of the Missouri House, and I'm looking up in the galleries around us, and. I'm thinking, like, we are the target here. We have a target on our on our back. Literally, we're wearing this mask and saying, when, when none of our Republican colleagues are, like, hey, I'm a Democrat. I'm the one who, yes, I, you know, I want to have there. Um, and I just think, gosh, you know, we are, we are, I, and we did. I, I got up and left. Others eventually got up and left because we realized, like, we were not safe um, that day. And, and lo and behold, you know, the security briefing started coming through that we realized, yeah, there, there are some pretty serious threats. Um, as I look and, and engage with my Republican colleagues, I'm like, you know, where is your line? Like, right. wh- you know, when do you have to stop and say enough is enough? Like, we literally saw this man lead an insurrection on our capital. It was some of the absolute darkest days in, in our country's history, and you're still standing by him. But unfortunately, I, I think once people get into some sort of political power, they realize that they're you know, their, their political career is on the line. And they will not speak up against Josh Hawley. They won't speak up against Donald Trump because they'll lose their next election or they'll be primary. And so that's 
yeah, I can't imagine that you would be, um, or you or your colleagues that you align with would be okay with Claire McCaskill or Joe Biden leading an insurrection. Like I, you know, it's not a laughing matter. The idea of Joe Biden egging people on to storm the Capitol with weapons just is illogical to me. And so there's people yeah. who would say, well, both sides no, would. It's like, no. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely sick. And, and you know, a lot of times I wanted to tell my Republican colleagues, like, you know, you need to take a lesson in, in losing from us. Because we, we got really good at losing here in Missouri. Um, and I don't say that lightly, you know, after, um, you know, they often joke about our liberal tears that we shed after Trump was elected. But I, but I say that, you know, yes, did I shed some tears? Absolutely. But then I got up the next day and I was ready to do the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we yes, I went to marches. Yes, I, you know, went to different rallies. But more than anything, I, I started doing the work. I was working to register voters. I was gathering signatures to get our issues directly on the ballot because I knew our legislature wouldn't do it. You know, and, and ultimately, you know, ended up running for office. But, you know, when so many people, there was that, you know, kind of those, those calls after Trump was elected and, and kept on saying, not my president, not my president. I think by me kind of going through those cycles of grief and, and accepting that he was our president, and so now what? Because he's our president, what are you going to do about it? Um, and so that's what I want to tell others. Like my, like I say, my Republican colleagues, like I, I get it. You're, you're frustrated Biden once. Okay, then work on it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually do the work. But you do the work through the ballot box. You don't do it through leading an insurrection. So as you've discussed, um, running for office is not just an important thing to do for winning and affecting policy. It's almost a brave thing to do. Um, if people are listening today for uh, run for office day um, or watching the new president come in, what would why would you encourage people to get involved now and you know, what kind of things would you ex- tell them to do as your recommendation? So I, you know, I would absolutely say be part of the process. If, if you feel like your voice isn't being heard mm-hmm. or those around you um, aren't being represented, you need to be part of the process. And so I think um, the first thing is that you have to have a very serious come to Jesus and say, okay, what, you know, what office is out there and, and what am I, um, what am I able to do? Um, and it's, it's engaged in as many, in, with as many people as possible in that conversation. Um, and so when I decided to run for office, it was. It was looking around, whether it's a school board or city council or county government, state, you know, legislature. Um, and so there's a lot of different groups out there that are, are um, willing and able to help you with that process and kind of determine, you know, next steps. Um, but I think that's, you know, I, I started showing up to all sorts of meetings that I would go to just so that I could figure out if this was going to be a good fit for me. Um, and so it, it's tough. You know, I, I can say making the leap um, from, you know, being a teacher to say, to tell folks that I was going to run for office was probably one of the more scary things I was going to do. Um, because, it, which is, <laughs> as now I'm battling my colleagues on things like, um, you know, the really, really tough partisan, I, not, I shouldn't say partisan, they shouldn't be partisan, but uh, things like, Um, there's so many great resources 
Yeah, I think it's all really important, and especially this year because, you, like you said, those offices, you you could be like Josh Hawley and go from one to the next right away, but, um, the, you know, the next senator is someone who is probably a state representative or a county commissioner now. Um, but you can affect a lot of change or, or stop damage by being in local office, uh, especially when they're trying to overturn voting rights or other things on a state level. If you are um, a county commissioner or something like that, you can you can be the last stand against some bad policy too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's you know one of the things that so so few people realize is how many important decisions get made on the local level. And we certainly saw that you know at, at the start of this pandemic is, is what tremendous power you know our city governments have, our local health departments have. Um, and and you know we need good people at all levels. But we need more than anything, we need people who are willing to. So, um, as Maggie said, uh, Run for Something is a terrific group. I would really recommend them that you can follow them on Twitter at Run for Something, and it's runforsomething.net, and they really will help a lot of people from the start. Um, I, I know some people who've gone through it, and I have heard zero complaints about them, and I hear a lot of complaints from people in politics about everything. So, um, highly recommend that on this National Run for Office Day. Um Maggie, you, you talk about a lot of things that are challenging, um, a lot of things that are frustrating, but you also said you're hopeful. Um, as we end today, um, you know, what makes you feel hopeful um, as Joe Biden's sworn in, as, you know, Kamala Harris is the first female vice president? You know, we, it's a very big week. What's making you feel good and hopeful about the situation today? You know, I mentioned that, yeah, I felt like I've been holding my breath for four years. You know, I'm hopeful um, for a lot of reasons, and I think it's that hope that keeps me going. Um, Corey Bush, um, our, our first um, black congresswoman from Missouri, had a really good quote about this yesterday, I think, from with you. Uh, but it really, it's this hope that sustains me. You know, just today I looked, um, I, I remember oftentimes Biden, you know, being a little bit frustrated that we didn't have um, different representation in, in, in our, our presidential nominee and, and him making that promise that his cabinet would look like America, well, we can look at the people who he has appointed and we can truly see that this isn't just a presidential promise. This is truly coming to fruition, that representation matters, and we see this in his cabinet. Um, I have so much hope. You know, I, I think we have really had some of the darkest days these last four years. Um, I can say this both nationally and in the state of Missouri, and I believe we are going to be on the rebound as as, as we um, continue to to speed up the rollout of COVID vaccine, um, coupled with uh, you know hopefully uh, uh, increased mask wearing. You know I I, I think our, our things will start to resemble normalcy um, sooner sooner than later, and so you know that brings me a lot of hope. I'm really hopeful for what I can do and, and kind of my original reasons for running, to fight for public education, um, to implement and fully fund Medicaid expansion. Um, we have a lot of um, important work to do here, um, you know, but what gives me hope is, is just in two weeks of the legislature, and then and now here I was, we're on kind of a, a week break because of the spread of COVID, but, um, you know, I'm hopeful in those conversations that I have with my Republican colleagues and, when I engage them and ask those questions to them about, hey, where do you stand on 
Josh Holly and I know um, that they are really there for the right reasons, that unfortunately people get tied up in some kind of a political game. Um, but I believe, you know, his writing is on the walls, and, um, you know, I, 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 I truly do not believe that Hannah will run for, for be able to even really win the seat again. Um, that gives me hope that people are, are um, trying to, you know, starting to see people's true colors and, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it is, it is the hope that sustains me and keeps me fighting, um, which is important because we've got a lot to fight for in the next few months. Well, people like you who have braved the conditions and run for office at state level, especially in a place like Missouri, where it might be a little bit harder than in some other states. Um, I really appreciate what you've done. Um, please follow Maggie on Twitter. It's really easy. It's at Maggie for Mo. Missouri does have the coolest, one of the coolest uh, uh, postal codes. So do we do, so do we in Pennsylvania. But please follow Maggie for Mo. And maybe you should run for office too. Uh, thank you so much, Maggie, and, and best of luck in Missouri. I hope you are able to accomplish a lot. Thanks, honey. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you.